Baptist Church, Charlotte. I'd like to draw your attention to this portion of scripture. Many of you are very familiar with it. It is taken out of Luke, Luke chapter number 11 in particular. Luke 11, we'll start at verse 9. We'll read, we'll read most of that, 9 to 13. Uh, and he says, and I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. I'm going to read that passage again. Verse 10, that's where my text is coming from. For everyone that asketh receiveth. I want somebody to receive this tonight. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Verse 13, if you all then be evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, Jesus said, shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So far, that is the scripture. And my subject tonight is simply everyone that asks, receives. Everyone that asks, receives. Simple, but profound. Simple, but profound. Everyone that asks, receives. My, my, my mom would say, easy to say, but hard to do, right? Not so easy to do. Uh, a cursory examination of the Gospels revealed that Jesus would often use symbolism, various examples, stories, if you will, we call them parables, to illustrate spiritual things that he was trying to teach. Uh, when Jesus wanted to teach the lesson about the importance of guarding that which was important to you, if you lost something very valuable and precious to you, he taught three parables, right? If you remember them, the lost sheep, this was found in Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We call that one the, the prodigal son. These stories are found in Luke 15 again. And so those parables not only resonated with the culture that he was ministering to, but were easily understood because, again, they were shepherds, right? And, and, and it was easily uh, translated to what their, their experience was. The shepherd immediately understood the challenge of losing a sheep. A woman that was recently married or a mom or uh, maybe not recently married, but who had been married, would understand the crisis of losing a coin for, from her wedding dowry. And of course, the father devastated by the loss of his son was now clearly delighted when he saw his prodigal son afar off. The Bible said that he, he ran, he ran to meet him. In the 11th chapter of Luke, Jesus draws from the most precious of all relationships to make us understand the depth of his desire to give us the Holy Spirit. He references a relationship of a loving father to his child. 
And I want you to follow the reasoning of this of this story. He says, quote, if you ask, uh, if your child asked for bread, would you give him a stone? If he asked for fish, would you give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Now, clearly, these are rhetorical questions. They are borderline absurd. The answer to those questions, of course, is a resounding no, no. And I can somewhat relate to what Jesus was saying. I, I have a daughter and a son. Uh, they mean the world to me. They both represent probably more so than I would care to admit some danger to my spirit because whenever they're out of the house uh, beyond a certain time, even though they're adults, uh, I, I worry. <laughs> I worry. And clearly, if if there was a burning building, then they were trapped in that burning building. I would, I would hazard my life in a minute to save them. They belong to me. They are my children. They are the heritage of the Lord that that the Lord gave to me. So a loving father will lay down his life for his children. That's clearly understood. A shepherd would go after the lost sheep. Jesus uses these examples to illustrate the desperation in his spirit, how important it is for him to give us his gift of the Holy Spirit. The message Jesus was trying to get across to his followers is, listen, man, if, if you, we, as frail, carnal, mortal, sinful men and women know how to give good gifts to our children when they ask, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to them that ask of him. Let there be no doubt. Let there be no doubt about it. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't say this any more emphatically. God wants us to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, it took me a while to get the Holy Spirit. I have to tell the truth about that um, because I didn't really understand Right. And when I talk to people who who get the Holy Ghost fairly quickly, they would say, you have to just have this childlike faith, deeply believe without doubt and you will get the Holy Ghost. But let me be clear. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift God has ever given or ever will give. Despite the miracles that we experience in our lives, the healings uh, in myself, some, some years ago I had a, a, a growth in my neck and the Lord caused me to cough it out. Amen. I've seen miracles of, of the healings of marriages among my close friends. I've seen miracles of incredible forgiveness. I didn't think was possible, but, but it, was, it was realized in front of me. And I was like, wow, look at God. Among my friends, I've seen kindnesses that, from strangers that was miraculous to me. And while those are wonderful, while those are great, I've also heard of Miracles in church, people getting healed. While, while in a conference in Alexandria, Louisiana, uh, Brother Mangan's church, we, we witnessed, we heard stories of people getting up out of wheelchairs and throwing away their, their crutches. When I was in the country of Liberia, visiting with my mom and about 15 other people from the church in New York, uh, Bishop Albert Stewart, he, we went for a walk and he introduced me to a young man who he said was dead last week. 
Dead as a doornail. Wonderful miracle. Wonderful miracle. He said he was killed uh, in the warring factions. If you remember, in 2001, there was a civil war in the country of Liberia. So I believe that that great and amazing, unbelievable miracles are still happening from God. I repeat, however, the greatest miracle of all is when God fills a person with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happens when that occurs? The Bible tells us in Luke 15, 10, that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. Seeing the great God that created the universe, choosing to unite his spirit with uh, uh, the, the creature that he had created. He takes up residence in our minds and our hearts. This is a notable miracle indeed. It is similar to what happened when he robed himself in flesh and jumped into Mary's womb. <laughs> and, the, and the angels bugged out then too. Glory to God in the highest, they said. And on earth, goodwill toward men. So, so my brother, my sister, do you have the Holy Spirit? And the Bible is clear. Everyone that asks receives. Do you need the Holy Ghost? I would say yes. My next question, have you asked? Have you asked the great God of the universe for his spirit to take up residence in your heart? Because whatever it is that you are lacking in your walk with God. Again, the scripture in Luke 11 says, if you ask with faith, believing you will receive everyone that asks receives. Amen. And, and I know lots of people in church don't have the Holy Ghost and they'll tell you that they've been seeking the Holy Ghost for a long time and this and that and everything else. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive a down payment on everlasting life. <laughs> for those of us familiar with real estate transactions, that's called earnest money. Right. It's a down payment on something that 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 you will receive the rest of later. It's a deposit on the property that you intend to purchase. So the Holy Spirit is the earnest money deposit that God invests in you for this transaction of saving your soul. What he is saying is, I'm not done with you yet. You're still in the process of being saved. I'll be back to complete the transaction with the remainder of the money. However, doing this time, you are not to go and find another person to transact with. You've essentially made a binding contract with God to turn your life around. That's what this repentance is all about. God, I'm sorry for my sins, my lies, my, my deceits, my lusts, every sin that I've committed, known and unknown, every lie I told, everything that I've done that is against you and your word, I confess it and I ask you to forgive me and I'm going to turn my life around. It could be that simple. And oh, by the way, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get a whole bunch of fringe benefits too, right? Acts 1 and 8 tells us about one. You will receive power, the Bible says. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and it will become easier for you to be a witness 
unto me, Jesus says, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Those of you who are timid and don't have an outgoing and gregarious personality, like say myself, you, you know, you don't talk above a whisper. You know, I know some people like that. Um, they're very, um, let's call them timid or quiet, shy. When you receive the Holy Spirit, God will empower you to be a witness. Amen. You remember the woman that, that was a prostitute and, and kind of was lay waiting for Jesus at the well uh, when the Lord spoke to her and, and she was blessed. The Bible says, she says, uh, let, me, let me tell you about a man that told me all about my life. Come see a man is how the scripture puts it. So the Holy Ghost will transform you from what you were to what God needs you to be, from what you were to what God needs you to be, from what you were to what God needs you to be. Whatever is needed in your path to God, God will empower you to do that. Number two, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you also receive the Bible calls it joy, supernatural joy, the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. And that's that's detailed in Galatians chapter number five, verse 22, as one of the elements of the fruit of the spirit. Now he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. That's the one I'm picking out. Of course, love is there primarily, but joy is something that I'd like to highlight because, you know, the world could be burning down around you, but if you have the joy of the Lord, if you have the joy of the Lord, it's a different deal. You can still rejoice in your heart. Catherine, you can still rejoice in your heart, even though everything is not where you want them to be. Carlos, you can still have the joy of the Lord, even though your body is failing. Come on, Jesus. Jordan, you may not have the joy of the Lord yet as much as you would like, but leave. let me tell you, your eye and your head and the tumor, all of that, you can still have the joy of the Lord in your heart when the Holy Spirit comes in. And so when you receive the Holy Spirit, it gives you joy. Third, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you also receive power to be more like Jesus, more like Christ. The Holy Spirit, its job, its job is sanctification. Its job is to make us more like Jesus every day. Uh, we are morally transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by his spirit, the Bible says. Uh, and it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen overnight. If anybody tells you that, tell them to call me. It is a lifelong process of moral transformation to make us more like Jesus. Roman 12 tells us that. Verse number two, and be not, be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It happens over time that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first verse of Romans 12 says, he's begging you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which, by the way, is your reasonable, reasonable service. He's not asking for too much. Amen. 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 And I, I hope I'm getting through to you because it's in me. It's, this word is in me. I want to give it to you. Next, number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by working in and through us. 
one of the Holy Spirit's function in your life is to cultivate a Christian character in you to transform you more and more every day into the likeness of Christ. That word sanctification means a transformation from the inside out. I've been dealing with little pieces of this for the last maybe couple of months of my teachings. Uh, the illustration that we gave a couple months ago was that of a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly. One-way street, the, cater the butter butterfly can't go back to being a caterpillar, right? God's changing you from what you was, what you were, to a new creature. The old creature is dead. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. The, the butterfly can now fly. Uh, the butterfly does not crawl anymore. Amen? Amen. Um, sanctification, though, is the work of God. Right? I'm getting to you here, uh, James. Give me a moment. Sanctification is the work of God. All our efforts towards holiness are useless apart from the work that Christ did on the cross, Hebrews 10.10, the work of God's spirit in us. Paul highlighted the Holy Spirit's role when he repeated this phrase, by the spirit, right? He's doing something in your life by the spirit. Galatians 5.16, Galatians 18.25. He used this phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, also in Romans 15.16 and in Romans 8.13. He said, it is by the Spirit that we are able to put to death the deeds of the body. Number six, and this might surprise you, your sanctification involves your cooperation with God. Take special note of the imperatives that is used in Galatians 5 when he talks about walking by the Spirit, verse 16, and, and living by the Spirit, verse 25. Keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. Whereas, whereas justification, different word, justification is, is entirely God's work. Sanctification, however, involves our cooperation with God. Christ has delivered us from sin's reign, but the res responsibility of resisting sin is squarely in our sandbox. God has given us his spirit, but the responsibility for walking by his spirit is entirely ours. Uh, we see in Hebrews 12, 11, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, says this plainly, pursue sanctification. So we have a job to do in sanctification. We don't lie, steal, or cheat anymore. We don't gamble. We don't get drunk. We don't carry on anymore. And we have to resist those temptations. The spirit of the Lord has been given to us so that we can resist. Hallelujah. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come on now. We have a part to play in our salvation, and in this case, our sanctification. We also see this in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, where the Bible says, cleanse yourself, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. So, to repeat, whereas the process of justification was, was completed on Calvary, 
you know, his life for hours, that kind of thing. The process of sanctification is an ongoing process whereby we grow daily in holiness, in pursuing the Lord. Uh, the Greek word, the verb that is translated walk by the spirit literally means to walk about, to go about walking. Uh, it is the same word Jesus used with the paralytic man in Mark chapter number two, verse nine. He said to him, get up, take that bed, your mat and go walking about. It, it also can be used to, to mean a certain walk of life, your, your conduct. Paul used a particular tense of the verb, which reflects a continuous ongoing activity. So that word walk in the original Greek does not mean you, you kind of effortlessly stroll down the superhighway of life. <laughs> it speaks more to a trek up a more arduous pathway, right? A hike steadily processing towards the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, until we see him as he is, 1 John 3 and verse 2. Next. The goal and measure of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our lives, is Christ-likeness. How much like Christ are you? I'm saying it again. The goal is to be more like Jesus Christ. God's purpose in our sanctification is to transform us every day more and more into the likeness of Christ. Romans 8 verse 29 confirms that. And so we refuse to be seduced into defining spiritual maturity in terms of religious activities uh, or, or, or as we used to do back in the day, uh, sanctification by a checklist. <laughs> Maybe you were raised in one of those religious churches where, you know, you had an eight point record system and they usually put it on the back of the offering envelope. That was a weekly checklist for you. Uh, did you attend Sunday school? Check. Uh, did you bring your Bible to church? Check. Uh, did you study your lesson? Check. Did you memorize the golden text? Check. Sanctification by a checklist. Did you attend the worship service? Check. Did you do your daily Bible reading? Check. Did you invite anybody to church? Check. You would check off the items on the back of the, the offering envelope. And if you got them all or all, nearly all of them, you were good for another week. Sanctification by checklist. By the way, there are some churches that behave like that still. However, on the contrary, Christ-like character is what Jesus is looking for. It is the measuring stick of your growth in sanctification. The measure of your growth towards being more like Christ is what Jesus is looking for. Your The transformation of your character. Uh, um, one of the things that I know for a fact that the Lord pulled out of me and transformed out of me was my temper. As a young man, I was very angry and I would get terrible headaches when I got angry and, and I would froth at the mouth with my, with temper, right? I would get terrible headaches. You can ask my wife, my mom, cause my wife didn't see much of that. Ask my mom. 
But the word of God has a way of changing you and the spirit of God will transform you. Um, the primary thing that God uses to change you is his word. Jesus, Jesus praying for his disciples, he said uh, in John 17, this is John, uh, the Lord's high priestly prayer in the garden. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Y'all remember that? And so the Bible instructs us that God sanctifies us by his word. Paul understood that God's word trains us in righteousness so that we may be, uh, as he writes, be complete. And so I encourage you to drink of God's word. Drink deeply. For by them, the word of God, God will transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Psalm 119.11 tells us that. Acts 20 Verse 32 tells us, 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 2 tells us that. It is the word of God that's going to clean us up. Uh, furthermore, the Bible tells us that it's the word of God that's going to judge us in the last day. That's why I, t I, I, I use the Bible generously in my Bible study. Even with, with my, my realtors, um, they were reading another book by Joyce Myers, and, and that was good and well. But I encouraged them. I was like, listen, I'm cool with all that. Joyce is okay, but could we switch to reading the Bible itself, the Word of God? And, and e eventually they agreed, and we're having such wonderful Bible studies with them. So God's Word is a sanctifying force. And 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 tells us that this is God's will for you, your sanctification. The Holy Spirit has not set us, has not only set us free from sin, but he's decided to take up residence in our heart and influence our actions, guide us more intentionally, stay with us more closely as we daily follow him. We become more Christ-like. We become more holy. We become set apart. There's that word again. We are sanctified for the master's use. That which is sanctified for the master's use, you don't use it for everything. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, but we have some vessels in, in our home that we only take out on special occasions. Yeah. We've got some 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 utensils that we bought and we said we're gonna use these only when we have guests over. Some special cups that we only whip out of the of the, the cabinet when we have special guests coming over. You know what I mean? Therefore, a special use. That's how God sees you. And so the Holy Spirit provides help in cleaning you up so that you be ready for the master's use. Romans 8 and 26 tells us in the same way, the spirit of God helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. We don't even know how to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through groans that cannot be uttered, moans. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the spirit, the mind of the spirit, 
because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In Romans 8, the Bible says, hey, you're not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen to this rebuke. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't belong to God. You remember that, that, that very tough rebuke in the scripture where the Bible says that he will say to you, depart from me, I, know, I never knew you. That's what this is referring to. So don't play church. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, ask God for it. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, verse 9. Make sure you get the Holy Spirit. Make sure you ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, because the Bible is very clear. Everyone who asks receives. The Bible also says in Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, (laughs) harden not your heart. As in the provocation when they tempted me in the wilderness. In other words, if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart, please respond. Don't resist the spirit of the Lord. Who knows what he will call you to do or to be? Everyone that asks receives. So uh, my question again is, are you asking? Because if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you should be asking like every day, several times a day. And you will know if you have the Holy Ghost. It shouldn't be, (laughs) you shouldn't be guessing. Let me put it like that. Because the Lord leads us. He guides us. He protects us. When you have the spirit of God, all of those benefits are yours. Let me let me read a few of them to you. He leads you, Romans 8, 14. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And David wrote in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God leads us. By his spirit, we become his children. Next, the Holy Ghost is a guide. Galatians 5, 16. So this I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. This is New Living Translation, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us a desire That is the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two, the Bible says, are contrary one to another, fighting one another, so that you're not free to carry out good intentions. But when you are guided by the Holy Spirit, ah, yes, when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer under the obligation of the law of Moses. John 16, 13 tells us when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you all things to come. 
John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you, bring back to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. Next, the Holy Spirit strengthens you. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So here we see the spirit strengthening you in the inner man. Again, transforming you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit strengthens you. Next, the Holy Spirit protects you. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as his own for the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. Next, David even said, Psalm 3, 3, but you, O Lord, are my shield, my protection, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Matthew 6, 13, the Holy Spirit delivers and protects us from all evil according to the will of God. Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The Lord uses our prayers and prayerful examples of Jesus Christ to deliver us from all sorts of evil. So the Holy Spirit protects us. The Holy Spirit empowers, embodies, and comforts us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. The Holy Spirit uh, is our guide. And the Holy Spirit leads us. Amen. And finally, I, I'm getting to the end here. Uh, millions of people from all walks of life are receiving the Holy Spirit every year. Each and every day. People from all religious backgrounds, people from all around the world, every social and economic background, rich and poor, white, brown and black, Anglo, Asian, Hispanic, African, every other stripe of people from various backgrounds are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? The Bible says everyone that asks for it receives it. So once again, I'm asking you, are you asking the Lord for his spirit to come into your heart? In your prayer at home, when you when you come to the altar at church, when you kneel by your pew at, ch at church, the most important thing you should be asking for is for his spirit to come into your life and to begin that process of transformation. Everyone who asks receives. And he says in, in Acts chapter number two, verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many of the Lord our God shall call. So the question I must once again ask, have you been asking? Have you been asking for they that hunger and thirst after righteousness? shall be filled. Hallelujah. If you desire the Holy Ghost and have not been asking for it, it may be the reason why you have not yet received it. I encourage you, my brother, my sister. It is the most important gift of God. Ask and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. That's all I have for you tonight. Uh... I pray the Lord will 
bless this word to your heart. Um, if you have any questions, I saw that um, James had a question earlier. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.